of what I'm calling Jesus for the people. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is one of the people that knew Jesus for a few years face to face um, in human form. We've got extra Bibles, by the way. Uh, We have a number of them here. If you'd like a Bible, just wave at Jimmy and he'll bring one to you. So, Jesus, the virgin birth, this miracle of God sending his son to us, who lived in many ways a very normal life um, up into adulthood, small town, working in his dad's business, but at the same time also learning about God. He would have, by the time he was age 12, like all Hebrew boys, memorized the first five books of the Bible, the story. Uh, would have known that, was a God worshiper, uh, was um, average in height and build and looks. Kind of like me. Very average. How would you describe me? Well, he's white. Uh, da, 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 da. So Jesus was similarly, Jesus was similarly uh, very average. Uh, the scripture refers to him as there was no form or comeliness. He wasn't, you know, 6'4", um, etc., etc. Um But he really had lived a a normal life up until that point, and yet tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. And then he had started to do miracles, which is very out of the ordinary. He had started to heal people, and he had started to teach. And so Matthew hadn't put numbers in here, but other people did for us to help us out. And so we're going to go to Matthew's account. If you kind of get past the middle of your Bible, head towards the right, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, stuck together. Matthew is the first of those. So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Said inside their own heads. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, which is how Jesus would refer to himself as a way of saying that I'm human, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. Now, the picture above me, maybe without the... uh, Speedboat, we talked about last week, um, is the lake where this occurred. On the, the sandy shore of this lake, Jesus comes, he gets off the boat, and people bring to him this man that is paralyzed. And what's easy for us to miss is the reality of this. These were real people. We have many, many historical documents that prove to us Jesus is a real person who lived, who the Romans executed, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that lived, they were later put to death, that that these were real people that had real problems and and saw each other face to face. And and it can, for some of us, it can be very helpful to watch something like Son of God, uh, where you see in video uh, what is actually going on, and to just kind of unlock your imagination and realize that these are very real people. And so Jesus comes, Gets off the boat, and he sees their faith. 
Now, what that means is that Matthew was watching. He was paying attention to what was going on. And as he was paying attention to what was going on, he could see Jesus' eyes and he could see their actions and their eyes. He's up close and personal. When you get out of a boat that you row, you're not standing 50 feet away. You ever done jury duty and hear someone describe something that happened 50 feet away? No, he's up close. Okay, Matthew's up close and he's watching. He's watching Jesus and he's watching the people that carry the paralyzed man in. And he sees on the paralyzed man and his friends, faith. Jesus didn't say to everyone he healed, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus looks in this young man's eyes and he sees faith. He sees a belief that Jesus can do something about his situation. Now, I don't know about you, but I have known a few people that were paralyzed in different forms. One would be my grandmother. My dad's mom, who was stricken as a newlywed in her early 20s with polio. And for her whole life, my dad and his siblings are all miracle babies. For his whole life, she's paralyzed from the waist down. If you've ever been around, lived with, cared for, loved on someone who's paralyzed, it's not an easy life. And just like aging, a critical illness, a life-affecting illness like that will tend to bring one of two things out of a person, good or bad. They'll either be the sweetest person that you met or otherwise. For my grandmother, thankfully, she was the sweetest person you ever met. She made a lot of choices. She loved Jesus. When we were six, seven years ago praying about moving here, starting this church, we've been here four years now. My grandmother was one person who, she's now in heaven with Jesus, but she was one person who saw what we saw in Baltimore more than anyone else. She saw you. She saw what this church has become very, very clearly. So life doesn't end when you're paralyzed. Right? Jesus sees the paralyzed young man, and what does he say? He doesn't start with healing this time. He says, lift up your head. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus recognizes something that sometimes we're kind of slow to learn. And he says it when he reads the minds. How would you like to be around Jesus and Jesus reading your mind? He reads the mind of the religious folk that are around. He said, why is there so much evil inside you? What is harder for me to say? That he's forgiven or that he's healed? So I'll prove it to you. And Jesus didn't always prove it. In fact, there is a time where Jesus said, you want me to do a miracle to prove it to you, but I won't because you're just trying to get me to prove it. But in this occasion, Jesus says, I'll prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins, which is, Jesus is saying, is more difficult than the healing. Did you catch that in this story? Jesus is saying that the forgiveness of sins is a more powerful thing, a more difficult thing, a more life-changing thing than the healing of the body. So he does a miracle. Can you imagine? 
I mean, they brought him in on a mat. I, I don't know if they were holding him on the mat the whole time Jesus is talking. I think if they walked a long way, it's probably getting pretty heavy. Probably sat him down. We don't know if he's completely paralyzed or it's just the waist down. We don't know if, maybe he's sitting up. Maybe someone's holding him sitting up. And after this exchange, Jesus says, get up. Well, the doctor bedside manner would have been to reach down and to pick him up. Right? right. And Jesus didn't do that. He said, get up. And what did he do? He got up. Can you imagine? Jesus does a miracle. Right then, right, right in that moment. Your sins are forgiven. Be encouraged. Get up. A healing miracle right then, right there. And I believe the Bible is very clear. We have evidence that the same Jesus who healed this man is alive today. Amen. Now, Baltimore City, which has been a football town since the 50s, really had a punch in the gut this year, right? With Ray Rice. You know, some of you, this is really emotional. You've been a football fan, a Baltimore fan all your life. And why is it so hard this week instead of February? See, in February, we saw Ray Rice dragging his unconscious then-fiancé, now-wife, out of the elevator. But what happened this past week is we see the video of what happened inside the elevator. One of the worst forms of evil is abusive relationships. No question. Why? Because God wired us for relationship. God created relationship. God designed us for relationship. God didn't just create Adam. He created Adam and Eve. He saw Adam by himself and what did he say? It's not good for a man to be alone. And I would say, yeah, that's true. So he created, God wired us for relationship. He created us for relationship. And God created us for relationships that are safe. No one should live in pain or fear. And when you're with someone that you love, that you were created to be with, even an abusive word, attitude, passive aggressive manipulation, silence treatment, any of that stuff can be as painful as a punch. And it's evil because it is not what God intended. But do you notice that abusive relationships didn't start until after we made a mistake in sin? You don't read about Adam and Eve arguing and fighting before they made a mistake of eating the fruit of the one tree. The only thing God said not to do, they did. And then after that, what's the next big event on the horizon? One of their sons kills the other one. Abusive relationships are one of the most evil things on the planet. It is not God's intent. God's intent is to bring healing and forgiveness. What does God bring to the paralyzed young man? Healing and forgiveness. See, when you're trapped in an abusive relationship, it can feel like you're paralyzed. 
So Rebecca and I have been around a lot of abusive relationships, helping people in abusive relationships, and in most cases, people stay. And when you're in an abusive relationship, you feel trapped. You feel like you can't go anywhere. You feel like you have no other choice. There are times where God brings healing and forgiveness and God has you stay in the relationship in order to affect change. But there are also times where you need to reach out. When you're isolated, when you're alone, when you keep everything private, the pain is only magnified. God wired us for relationships. You need other life-giving relationships. What happened with the young man? He had people carrying him. Hello? He didn't push them away. If he had refused to be brought there, I don't know if he would be there. See, at some point you've got to reach out. You've got to reach out for help. And there are times where God may want to remove you from that relationship to protect you, to allow for healing, to allow for change, because sometimes it's not until that relationship there is a separation that the other person wakes up to the reality that there's a problem. There's not a blanket statement. There's not one answer for every situation. But what there is, is one God who brings healing and forgiveness. Are you with me? You see, the same Jesus who healed this young man lives today, walks among us, talks to us, is for you. In the lead-up to the World Cup, I love soccer, crazy about soccer, played at high school, played for a small college, coached high school soccer, love it. People were so down on the United States and their chance because of the other countries that they were up against in the tournament, they started this chant, I believe, I believe that we can win. And then that turned into, I believe that we will win. I'm a little sports adrenaline junkie, so that stuff gets me fired up. So in thinking through the challenges of life, sometimes we've got to stop and think about what do we believe? Because whether it's Ray Rice or some other current event or Iraq or whatever, there's a few questions that we should ask ourselves. What do I believe about God? How is the fall involved with this? How is sin and the brokenness and the curse of sin, how is the fall involved in this? Because I guarantee you, I don't know what was going on inside of Ray Rice, but I do know that that was not Jesus throwing a punch so sin is involved right selfishness and what does selfishness do we talked about this before it breaks relationships what does grace do it reunites us and brings restoration so how what do i believe about god how is the fall involved what is god asking me to do about it some of us are current event junkies we need to stop we need to scale back In most of human history, most humans did not have access to know about what was going on in Iraq, Malaysia, Mississippi, for that matter. Now, I love technology. I use technology. Don't get me wrong. But some of us are not mentally equipped to handle the information of all the bad stuff that's going on in the whole world. You you need some peace. You need a little bit of space so you can get a hold of God and deal with your own stuff. What does God want me to do? Well, God doesn't want you to punch your spouse. Right? And then how much time should I give to that? How's that for four questions with every current event? Was that useful? Are you glad you came? I'm trying to lighten it up. Breathe a little bit. It's okay. What do I believe about God? How is the fall involved? What is God asking me to do? And how much time should I give to this? So when I pull back and I try to learn, 
I learned that Jesus brings healing and forgiveness, right? And as there's nothing quite like domestic abuse to put you face to face with the reality that God's grace is something we don't understand. And with all the foolish mess, and a lot of the people that have been on TV, they're not qualified to comment on domestic abuse saying stupid stuff. With all the things that I've heard, and, and from Christians, and from Facebook, oh, Facebook, here's one thing that's really clear to me. Most believers underestimate two things. God's grace. Your God is too small. And by that, I mean the God inside your head. From the stuff I see, some of us put out there into the ether, we don't have an understanding of how big God's grace is, how powerful it is, how limitless it is, how far it reaches, how much it can heal, the miracles that it can accomplish. We too easily underestimate the power of the grace of God. And the second thing is that we underestimate the personal responsibility that God leaves to us. Jesus says, get up! Most churches tend to be really good on one or the other. Are we grown up enough for this conversation? Are you with me? We're either really good about God's grace. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. So what do we do? We just go sin like crazy and live however the heck we want to. (laughs) Or we're way too far on personal responsibility. It's a real bummer to come to church because it's all guilt trips and it's all about what you do to to prove that you, you are worthy of God's love. No, no, no. That's two really easy ways to miss God. Either I approach God for what I can get out of Him. Or I approach God to prove that I'm worthy. God doesn't want us to approach Him to get something from Him. He gives to us freely. He also doesn't want us to approach Him to prove that we're good enough. No, no, no. He does want us to do good stuff. Are you with me? Okay. Let's talk through some basic things. When we receive and respond to the love of Jesus, we are changed. Can you say that with me? Can we say that together? I think it's really good. I want to make sure you leave here today with a thought in your mind. Okay, everyone, front row in the splash zone and back row, say this together. When we receive and respond to the love of Jesus, we are changed. Let's do it again. When we receive and respond to the love of Jesus, we are changed. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I've got to receive and I've got to respond. In my life, in my life, I've got to receive and I've got to respond. Here's what I believe about God. God has, and we talked about this last Sunday, declared the good news. What is the good news? It is the information of what he has already done for you that you need to receive. That is, your guilt has been removed. The guilt of your sin has been removed. You can no longer be convicted of it. Jesus took it on himself. If there was anyone who could say your sins have been forgiven, it was Jesus, the very one who took the punishment from whom the father turned away when the punishment was put on him as a curse. He was put to death, executed for our sins. Our guilt has been removed. In 1 John 
John, the, the disciple who loved Jesus, who was always near Jesus, he wrote about this as the sacrifice that atones for our sins. 1 John 2, the first two verses. The sacrifice that atones for our sins. And in that, in verses 3 through 6, he writes about how we should respond with action to show how completely we love him. I need to receive and I need to respond. I need to receive and I need to respond. In Ephesians 2, last year, you can still get it on iTunes or on our website. Um, last year, in 2013, early 2013, we walked through Ephesians, a letter from Paul to friends that he knew. And the first three chapters are all about this love relationship with God as a state of being. And the last three chapters are all about the action and the response to it. But kind of anchored in the middle before the transition, he writes about the fact that we can receive God's love through Jesus as grace, as a good gift that God gave to us, not for anything, any good thing that we have done, but because He loved us, but because He chose us, so that we can do the good things He prepared for us. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now let's look at the rest of this here. Back to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, He saw a man named Matthew. That's Matthew talking about himself in the third person here. Sitting at his tax collector's booth. It's his way of saying, this is what I used to be, a scurvy dog, the scum of the earth, one of the most hated of all. We have some folks who live, work for the IRS. I know some folks. It's not, a, not an easy life. But I don't think they're cheating as much as these tax collectors were cheating. <laughs> follow, yeah. follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up. The man, young man off the mat, he got up. Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, those religious folks, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call you, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is Jesus' way of trying to help them go through a transition between having been religious people and now being a follower of Jesus in a healthy way. Not trying to get something from God, not trying to prove something from God, but relating to God in a pure way, receiving His love and responding to it. Now this takes some clarification. Because what I have found in my own life and in having been around Christians for a long time is that it's really, really easy to either transition into relating to God. I I pray like... Like I'm rubbing a lamp. I'm waiting for the genie to come out and do what I need. God does want us to ask Him. I mean, Jesus instructs us to ask Him for things. That's not a bad thing. But the motive, and in my heart, and the primary motive of my relationship with God is to not be superstitious. And unfortunately, we have a lot of pop Christianity out there right now that is really just relating to God as superstition. Nor does God want us to be religious and proving to Him that we're good enough and all about legalism, structure, and rules. Don't do this, don't do that. Right? That We don't want religion. We don't want superstition. 
We want to follow Jesus. Let me help clarify this just a little bit. A religious person says, I obey and so I am accepted. Meaning, I do good things, and because I do good things, God loves me, God accepts me, I'll be in heaven one day. But a Jesus follower says, I am accepted, and so I obey. Do you understand the difference? It's out of a love response. Action in my life when I get up to follow Jesus, to follow his instruction. And you know, sometimes that instruction is difficult I would venture a guess that for the paralyzed young man to get up and go back home was probably difficult. Sometimes home is not where you want to go back to. That's sometimes, unfortunately, the case. But when Jesus gives us an instruction to go where he has given us influence, out of a, it should come out of a love response. I am already accepted. God loves me. I can't do anything to cause God to love me anymore. I'm accepted, and so I obey. A religious person says, I obey God in order to get things from God. A Jesus follower says, I obey God to get God. (laughs) To delight, to resemble Him. Uh, This morning before sunrise, the, the sunlight coming off the moon was amazing. The moon was so bright this morning. And I was thinking about that, that... God's call is not for us to work up the energy to be a source of light to others. He doesn't call us to a life where you're manufacturing energy. He calls us to a life where we reflect Him. Simply reflect His glory. Be real. Be who He designed you to be. And reflect the goodness of what He's already given you. Does that make sense? You see, the gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. Yet the gospel results in a whole new way of life. See, I know that Ray Lewis and our old friend Bernard Pollard and other ravens are Jesus believers and are working out their salvation, are in a process of trying to grow and trying to mature. We've got to give each other some grace. We've got to give each other some space. Does that make sense? Right? The gospel results. It, when I digest, when I take in and I really process what this fact that my guilt has been removed. When I really take time to think about that. When I look in the mirror, not Lisa, but other people. When I look in the mirror... I see something different. I see someone that God loved so much that Jesus would come and die for my mistakes. And that now I'm clean. I've got a fresh start. It's a new season. It's a new day. That's what I should see when I look in the mirror. My guilt has been removed. Martin Luther said this, We are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. James wrote in, James 2, the faith without works is dead. That passage is really good in the New Living. I recommend that you look it up. We can't stay there. See, we've got to both receive and we've got to respond. And we've we've got to have some help in our life. We've got to have other people in our life that can help us see 
by sharing life, by doing life together, life in community, when we are relating out of God only to get something from Him, or when we are relating to God only to prove something to Him. We need other people in our life to help us, to help us see that we are growing. I know that in our small groups, one of the most powerful things that happens is when we compliment each other and when someone else tells you, you are so different from the way you were a year ago. And for a lot of us, that's really encouraging. That's what we want to hear. And for a lot of us, what I think happens is we think we're in this alone. We think we're the only one making changes and we can't see the changes that we have made. But when somebody else points out, yeah, you're really different. You're really better. You're really happier. You're really more at peace. But all we're thinking about is the struggles of this week. But we don't realize that a year ago we would have punched someone because of the struggles of this week or we would have cussed out the boss or we would have taken off. You know what I'm saying? Right? I mean, I think that's one of the most powerful things that happens in our small group, in our house, is that we say, hey, you know what? You are different. You have changed. That's what the verse speaking the truth in love refers to. We're encouraging each other. We're being real. You've got to be real. You've got to be real. But we're recognizing, praising, complimenting the growth and the change. This is what it means. Everything that we do here on a Sunday morning, this is not an event we attend to observe. We are being the church. The church is you. People, organized, one place, one time, serving one God, loving on each other. And, and, and from here, making a difference in other places. We've got cards here all over the place that you can take, that you can invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. We're not here for people that are Christians. This church does not exist for the Christians in Baltimore that are in churches. We want them to stay in their church. This church exists so that you can help. We can encourage you, equip you, enable you to know how to better serve, love all the people that are in your life, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you live. We're in this city. We're not moving to the suburbs. I got asked by another pastor in Baltimore again this week. Have you thought about moving? No. We're in the city for the city on purpose. It's where God wants us. Now there's other people that God calls to the suburbs. That's not me. But wherever you live, wherever you work, we're here to help you connect with Jesus in everything that we do. The social media that we put out there, the sermons that are available online, the Sunday gathering, the people that get together in homes and the life groups and the purple book groups and getting together when we do lunch. Everything that we do is to help you connect with Jesus, to grow in your faith and to share his love. But there's teeth to it. There's there's progress. There's next steps to take. That's why we do the purple book, because it helps us take next steps. I have yet to meet anyone who's gone through it that said they didn't learn anything. We see a church. This is what we see. This is the vision of this church. This is where you are going. How many of you are glad that you've got a pastor that wants to do this? All right. How many of you are glad that we've got a vision, we've got goals, we have somewhere we want to go? Right? This is what we see. We see it, I see it now and I see it for us more in the future. Do you know that sharing Jesus with someone who doesn't know Jesus is one thing that you can't do in heaven? Yeah, we're intense. Because we want to take as many people with us to heaven as possible. Don't you? Which one of the 2.8 million people that live in the metropolitan area of Baltimore do I say stay home and go to hell? Which one? Your mom? Your coworker? Your son? 
Who do I say, stay home and go to hell? Who? I don't. That's why we want to grow. That's why we give money. That's why we expand. That's why we're helping Center for Urban Families and Mothers Cry and other places in the city. We don't want anyone to go to hell. We want everyone to know Jesus. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. God wants everyone to have an opportunity to repent, turn away from their past, and turn to Him. And so we see City Bible Church. We see it as a church that is loving Jesus in a way that people talk about. I'm not trying to be weird for weird's sake. But I, if I'm going to do this Jesus thing, it better matter. It better make a difference in my life. Or what the heck are we doing? Stay home and in bed. But if it is God that we come to meet, I get my butt out of bed and I get here. I'm not convincing you. You're all here. We see a church where people find salvation and healing in Jesus. Multiple healing miracles this year. Multiple people found salvation this year. Praise God for that. We see a church helping people find careers and peaceful homes. Both Rebecca and I have worked in human resources. We've hired people. We've fired people. We've helped a ton of people get resumes and get careers and get out of dead-end jobs and into better jobs. It's one of Baltimore's biggest problems. We care about it. I believe we will probably have a building for our food and our clothing that we're already doing and a career center before we will own a church building. I just think that's possible. We care about this. We see a church where everyone can find a place that they fit. Everyone. If you got the church email this week, you saw the man meal, you saw the ladies night out on the calendar. We do that stuff because none of us agree on sports or music or not. We're all different people in this church. We tried to get some activity for the guys together. We all had totally different interests. We said, well, you eat, right? Okay, we'll do that. Everyone can find a place where they fit. We see a church serving a city with love that works. How do we do that? Well, we don't think that big church, this big meeting, will cut it for you. We think that you need help, and that's why we do life groups. That's why we meet in homes. That's what the church, that's what they did. That's what Matthew did. Read Acts. Read what happens next in the story. We get together in homes, and guess what? We have lunch. We do it as a way we can get to know each other better, encourage each other, be life-giving relationships, not relationships that are the other way. And that's why we serve the city. This year we've done a lot of different things. Uh, Homeless, we do still need um, socks for adult men, and we need to start to get warm weather clothing for the homeless that we're serving in our area. We do a lot of other things, um, garbage cleanups and other stuff. We we are a church in action. Okay, We are here to be helping Jesus grow in faith, Connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. Will you stand with me, please? We'll close in prayer this morning. I believe. I believe that we will win. (laughs) I believe that together, together, we can follow Jesus. I believe there's no perfect people in this church, and I believe that nobody walks alone. Nobody walks alone. I believe it. I believe God's got a dream for us. I believe God's got a hope for us. I believe God's got plans for us. And that includes laughing at the fact that we crush the Stealers. That that includes having a sense of humor and doing church in a way where there's not so many kajillion meetings where you have nothing to do but be around church people. We believe that God wants you to have a life and to be full of life right where you're called to be. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that Jesus walked this earth, 
that he brought healing, that he brought forgiveness. I thank you that in you, we don't have to look at ourselves with the past in the rearview mirror. That you don't want our rearview mirror to be bigger than our windshield, where we're only looking at our sins. But you've cleansed us, you've taken away the guilt of our sins, and you've healed us in our minds, in our emotions, in our decision making, and in our bodies. I believe that you are healing us in relationships. Help us to be a church where no one stands alone. Help us, Lord God, to receive your love and to respond with love. I pray right now that you would bless all the food that has been brought in today to our bodies. Give us strength and help us to laugh and have a good time as we eat lunch together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If this is your first time, it's a little bit of a three-ring circus now as we break down this room and the kids' room. But the coffee shop, we will have food there momentarily, a lunch for you to enjoy. Please don't leave until you've met someone. Grace and peace to you. Enjoy a great day. The Ravens aren't playing today. You've got lots of time to hang out.